0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: I'm studying forgiveness this morning. and My mind goes to a couple of ways in which I've been hurt. And those feelings came back to me. Isn't that that a funny thing? And I found myself having to practice it. I found myself sitting in my office saying, "Okay, God, they don't owe me anything. I need to let them go. I had to say to God, forgive me because I'd forgiven them. And then when it all kind of came back, I found myself feeling that anger and that bitterness again.
0: There is likely not one person listening to this message right now who has not struggled with forgiveness. The hurt, pain, and bitterness that can come from not forgiving, even after we think we have forgiven, can take us to such an unhealthy place spiritually. We don't want that to happen. Today on Practical Christian Living, we want to help you learn how to forgive by the power of the Holy Spirit and how to walk in the freedom that comes when we walk righteously before our Savior. Such an important and powerful message today. Please stay with us for more. From Matthew chapter 18, here's Robert Furrow.
1: Now reconciliation, we're gonna get to that in a moment, might not come if someone doesn't repent. Reconciliation is a lot more likely and doesn't have to happen if someone repents but it's a lot more likely when someone does also when someone repents and really apologizes to you in a good way it can help you to deal with the hurt and the bitterness and the anger that you have so consider if you've hurt someone asking for their forgiveness but make sure you ask in a way that doesn't prompt more bitterness and more anger and something that somebody has to deal with so much so that 20 years later he's talking about it on a Wednesday night service from the pulpit. Isn't it funny how those kind of things hang out, you know, you remember them well. Second, this is misconceptions about sin. So first is the misconception that someone has to repent in order to be forgiven. Second is that if I forgive sin, trespass, betrayal against those who have sinned against me, that it won't hurt anymore. That somehow the hurt will be gone. But that's just not true because we remember the betrayal. And all I can speak of is my own experiences of being betrayed and then how that will come back to me. How I won't think about it for years. And then how all of a sudden something will be set off in my memory And I'll remember the hurt, I'll remember the pain. I'll think, why did they do that? Why did they have to do it that way? And I'll kind of start to wallow around in the hurts. I kind of just settle down in a a little bit. It's not anything that I want, I don't want to feel that way, but there's something about that pain that was caused and wallowing around in it that makes me feel somehow satisfied And I don't understand it, but there still will be hurt and we have to deal with the hurt when it arises again. Especially if we still have relationships with those people that have hurt us. We still have to deal with that hurt. The third misconception on forgiveness is that forgiveness means reconciliation. Years ago, after a study on forgiveness, I had a woman come up to me and say, I cannot remarry my husband. I wasn't talking about remarrying. I was talking about forgiveness. But she assumed that when I said, no matter what your ex-husband has done, you have to forgive him. That can be a hard thing, right? Because ex-husbands and ex-wives can can cause a lot of pain. And no matter what your ex has done, you have to forgive them. She thought that meant that I've got to remarry him. She said, I can't remarry him. You don't know what he did. And I said, okay, I'm not, how did you ever get that? Because forgiving doesn't mean reconciliation. Listen, God does some amazing things and I've seen some amazing reconciliations. I've seen people divorced, go through, marriages of their own and then God bring those people back together again. I've seen God work incredible restorations when someone has been a serial adulterer, their wife is divorcing them and then there's a radical change and God gets involved and I've seen them come back together again and the particular person I'm thinking of today is a pastor today. God's using him as a pastor in a church today. Even though before he came to Christ, he was a serial adulterer and their marriage was almost destroyed, but God restored that marriage. God is great at bringing people back together again. And maybe a reconciliation would happen, but it doesn't have to. And at certain points, hey, if if, if your best friend does something that really violates that friendship, you don't ever have to be best friends with them again. You can't hold bitterness and anger and unforgiveness towards them. But you can say, I don't know if I can trust them. The same is true with an ex-husband or an ex-wife. You, can, you have to forgive them, but you could say, I don't know if I trust them, and so I'm not going to put myself in a position to be hurt again. You don't have to put yourself in a position to be hurt again just because you've forgiven. You might. God might do an incredible work. God might do an incredible restoration. But it's a misconception to think that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. Now, let's take a look at our text and we'll talk some more about forgiveness when we, when we get done with this. So in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Excuse me, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, maybe he was thinking of the statement Jesus said when he said, If your brother sins against you and repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times, forgive him. And Peter's like thinking, I'm paying attention, Lord. How often should I forgive someone if they sin against me? Seven times? And some of us might think that's a, you know, pretty incredible length of forgiveness. Allow someone to do something seven times and we still forgive them. Jesus said unto him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. If I do my math right, that's 490 times. I don't think that Jesus was saying, get a pencil, make a little mark, get a notepad, make a little mark every time you forgive them. When you get to 490, you don't have to do it anymore. He's saying we are to be forgiving people, even if someone hurts us again and again and again and again. And I think we should recognize how hard it is what he's saying. That we can never allow ourselves to settle in bitterness no matter how many times a person has hurt us. And then he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And then when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents. A talent is an amount of money. Remember the parable of the talents? One guy, one servant receives 10 talents, another receives five talents, another receives one talent. It's not talking about talent like my talent to tap dance or my talent with, uh, you know, nunchucks. We're talking about money. That's what talents are. And so a talent is an incredible amount of money. In fact, when you, tr- when you go to try to figure out exactly how, what an equivalent to a talent would be today, it's very hard to do. It's such a large sum of money. One servant was given 10 talents. That's incredible. This guy owes 10,000 talents. It would be something like a man was brought before him who owed him $2 billion. That's the kind of size we're talking about here. It's an amount that would be impossible for somebody that has gone broke to come up with. But he was not able to pay. Verse 25, his master condemned that he be sold commanded that he would be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Well, in their day, if you couldn't pay your debts, then you could go to debtor's prison and here they would become slaves. Jesus talks about the practice of selling the wives and children into slavery. If that was still the case today, there'd be a lot less bankruptcy, right? That was the case. The servant, therefore, fell down before him. You can imagine this was with a lot of emotion. He's thinking of his wife. He's thinking of his children. He's thinking of his own life. He fell down before him saying, Master, have have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. How amazing to forgive such an incredible debt. Maybe this man realized, I'm not getting it anyway. Even if I sell them, I'm not going to get anything close to 10,000 talents back from them. It's too large of a sum of money. But he showed great compassion and he forgave him. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii would be about a half year's worth of, of, of money. Not talents, not a hundred talents, but a hundred denarii. He owned 10,000 talents, and now somebody owes him a hundred denarii. This is a significantly smaller. It's not nothing. It's significant. Half of your year's wage, whatever you make, you could think about it that way. So it's significant. But he owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay all. Sound familiar? But where the servant that had owed the 10,000 talents really couldn't repay at all. Once you've lost your money to try to remake that kind of money back, but this guy could repay it. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And what a dumb thing, really, debtor's prison was because once you throw a person into prison, there's no way they're going to make money to pay the debt. So they're just in debtor's prison. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. They saw the compassion of the king and they were very grieved and they came and they told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as he should pay all that was due to him? So my heavenly Father will do to each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers. verse 34, it says, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due him. Then he says, so my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers their trespasses. That's a pretty heavy passage. But it reminds us that we have been forgiven a great debt by God. We owed a debt we couldn't pay in that we could not go into eternity with him. We could not make our own way for eternal life. And any debt that someone owes us is significantly smaller than that. And this is a good way for us to think about forgiveness. When someone harms us, when someone betrays us, when someone mistreats us or or sins against us, in our mind, they owe us a debt. We grab a hold of them, not literally by the throat, but figuratively for sure. And and we are not going to let go of it. We're going to make them pay. And so if we right now are dealing with a lot of hurt, real, genuine hurts, and you're hearing this message and you're thinking, how can I forgive? Well, let me give you what I think are some steps for forgiving even when we're hurt. Number one, you have to let that person go. You got them by the throat. You're holding on to that bitterness, that anger. You are, you you, you think you're hurting them by being angry against them. But in reality, you're probably not hurting them at all. And it is simply letting them go. It's simply saying, maybe to God and only to God, God, they don't owe me anything anymore for hurting me. We're so used to the idea of retribution, someone who hurts us or hurts our property, and we get something back from them that we feel like we ought to get something back from the person who hurt us. And when we say, God, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to let them go, they no longer owe me anything. There's such freedom in that. And maybe that's even the prayer that you pray. God, I let them go. They don't owe me anything. I forgive them. Some of you need to pray that prayer right now. It's a funny thing. I'm studying forgiveness this morning and my mind goes to a couple of ways in which I've been hurt. And those feelings came back to me. Isn't that that a funny thing? And I found myself having to practice it. I found myself sitting in my office saying, okay, God, they don't owe me anything. I need to let them go. I had to say to God, forgive me because I'd forgiven them. And then when it all kind of came back, I found myself feeling that anger and that bitterness again, feeling that hurt once again. And uh, we just need to let them go. Just need to say, God, they are forgiven. As you forgave me, I forgive them. Number two, deal with that hurt in the right way. When that hurt comes back around again, like it did for me this morning, that you would say, Lord, I remember that I have forgiven them. That you wouldn't kind of coddle that hurt and bring it back in. Because I said, there's something strangely, maybe even sinfully satisfying about wallowing around in that hurt. Handling it in the right way is to say, God, I forgave them. And I want to move on from this. I'm hurt still, but I want to, I want to reiterate that I forgave them. I think that's the right way to handle it. Number three, stop speaking against them. It's funny when someone has done something against you and their name comes up, how you want to tell everybody what that person did against you. I've got one person in particular in my life that years ago when we started the ministry had done some things that had hurt me. And it's funny because his name will come up and I immediately want to say, oh yeah. Here's what he did. I immediately want to tell people it. Stop speaking against them. That is a heart of malice, which would be unforgiveness. One of the things that can happen when we are sinned against, when someone does something wrong to us, is we can get bitter, we can get angry, and we can also have malice. What is malice? Malice is when you want to hurt someone. You want to strike out against them and you want to hurt them. And so when that name is brought up and I tell them what he did to me, that's hurting him. In their eyes, they will never think of him the same. It's not really slander because slander would be telling a lie about him. But it certainly is in the negative light. It reminds me of a proverb. And I didn't look it up, but it says something like this. You could look it up. It says something like this. The righteous man covers up a matter. The unrighteous man reveals it. And it sounds opposite of what a proverb should be. That covering up a matter would be a bad thing, like someone who's covering up for somebody so they can get away with something. That's not the idea. The idea is that if you're a righteous person and you know of a sin in someone's life and you could hurt their reputation, that a righteous person doesn't do that. He doesn't, he covers up that matter. But the unrighteous person will let everybody know. The unrighteous persons will take advantage of it to make that person look bad. And when someone has hurt us, when we're trying to forgive someone, it's so easy to speak against them. And by the way, this is an easy one to say that we need to stop doing. It's a hard one to stop doing. The next time it comes up, may the Lord give you a conviction, not condemnation, but a conviction. This is what you need to stop doing. Number four, and again, this is a hard one but it's really true, pray for, pray for them. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When that hurt comes up, when you remember what that person did, when their name comes up again, quietly lift them up in prayer. Ask that God would move in their lives. Ask that God would bless them. Bless those who curse you. Ask God, ask that God would take care of them. It's hard to remain hateful towards someone that you are genuinely praying for. And it might be a hard thing to do, but I think it's a very godly kind of thing to do. Jesus is very Christ-like. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Why they were harming him. And someone who's harmed us, when we ask God to move in their lives, it is being very much like Christ. Now let's also ask the question, what happens to us when we don't forgive? Well, first of all, we've read, and this parable illustrates, and it's kind of scary, we will not be forgiven. So Christians forgive. And if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Now, there's all kinds of explanations of this. Because it goes against a lot of people's theology. And so they'll say things like, If you don't forgive, then it's not really that you're not forgiven, that you aren't given eternity. It means that the consequences of your sin are not forgiven and you're going to receive the whole force of the consequences of your sin. Or or, or it means that God's going to treat you like you're unforgiven. If for the sake of eternity, you're forgiven, but God's going to treat you here on earth like you're unforgiven. That's a lot of fancy footwork going on. To take something that's very plain and to make it more palatable and to fit into people's theology. I think it's clear. When we're forgiven, we forgive. And if we don't forgive, then it's a sign that something is wrong and we need to take care of that. The second thing that happens if we don't forgive is that bitterness will grow in your heart. That anger, that malice, that bitterness. And the Bible tells us that the root of bitterness defiles many. When we are bitter with one person and we refuse to take care of that, it's like we put on a pair of bitter glasses and every relationship that we are in is tainted by that anger. That's my third point, by the way, that I just jumped to. But we, we have to get rid of the bitter heart that defiles many. The idea of defiling many, you have bitterness in your heart, you're angry, you're hate, you know, hateful towards them and you think you're making them pay. I've heard it said that that's like you drinking poison, thinking someone else will die. You have the anger, you have the malice, you've got all this going on and you're thinking they're going to get hurt. When they're not going to get hurt at all. It's you that ends up getting hurt. The third, which I jumped ahead to, was that it affects every relationship in our lives. It's like we put on a pair of bitter glasses and every relationship that we have is affected by it. When things are right between us and God, when things are right between us and people, when we aren't bitter, when we're not full of hatred and malice, then it makes our relationships in our marriage better. It makes our relationship with our kids better. It makes our relationship with our parents better. When someone does something against us, it's easier for us to let it go. We become bitter and angry. It's why as we get older, we really have to guard against this. Because we can lose that kind of love for life and we can just become bitter, cranky, old people. And yes, I'm saying we. We can just become bitter, cranky, old people. And that comes from not forgiving. Listen to what the Mayo Clinic says about forgiveness. This, this is interesting. This is a doctor's perspective, our doctor's perspective, the Mayo Clinic. I know this isn't the Word of God. Just interesting to me that they agree with the Word of God. Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety and stress and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. Now, a lot of those aren't brought up in the Bible. The Bible doesn't deal with them. But if they are right, they agree with a lot of what the Bible says. And when we learn to be those who can forgive, it becomes very powerful. So I'll conclude by saying, let go. Let go of the unforgiveness. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the anger. Let go of the malice. Tell God, I forgive them. I let them go. They no longer owe me anything. And feel the freedom that comes from a real forgiveness. And as it creeps back up in your life again, as inevitably it will do, remember, I heard someone say, drive a stake in the ground when you forgive. And then remember, I drove a stake in the ground. I said I had forgiven them and I am going to forgive them instead of coming back to the place where you have to deal with it all again. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that there's so much in the Bible about forgiveness, so much that we hear, and we confess that this is a struggle for us, that people have hurt us, and sometimes our own flesh gets involved, and it's harder to forgive someone when there's malice and contention, when there's difficulties that go on in a relationship, when maybe even bitter jealousies We're jealous of someone. And so we just don't want to forgive when someone does something wrong. Lord, we understand the clarity of what you are saying here. If we have been forgiven such a great debt, then what kind of people would we be if we don't forgive those who have sinned against us in a much smaller way? Help us with this, we pray. We confess our weakness and our need for your help in this situation. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
0: Pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.